Ashley you, Dixon. It's your show. <laughs> Not Ashley Smith. No, depending on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I actually wanted to start by telling you thank you. So there's, uh, it's been kind of interesting. I, I've known you for years. It's been uh -huh. a really long time. Yeah. And I feel like you, well, there's a few observations, but I'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to chat. But you've been one of those people in my life that I think... You've supported me, I think, more than you realize, <laughs> and I want to thank you for that. Oh. There have been introductions that you've made and connections that you've made. I mean, when we first met, I don't know if you remember or not, you had your boss came up from Albuquerque. I was at my last job, and we actually, we met before that, but this time, uh, and I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but... You, did, I, did I? Well, we, maybe we were all fake. <laughs> oh, okay. But, uh, but I don't know. I just I wanted to sincerely thank you because I remember getting lunch with you before I started Ascent, and mm -hmm. you kind of gave me a little push of confidence, and it meant a ton to me. Oh, so I'm really welcome. grateful that you're in my life. I'm grateful for the influence you've had on me. I'm grateful for the impact that you've made, oh. and I'm excited for this conversation. So same. thank you for being here. Oh, same. Thank you. I receive your thanks. I give it back to you. It's <laughs> been fun to watch your journey and... I mean, yeah, if you had told me, what, five or six years ago that I would be a guest on your podcast, um, I wouldn't have believed you. Well, and it's like a huge podcast. <laughs> I know. So there's I'm like, just... I have like 80 followers on Instagram oh. now, so. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> so we're like really blowing up. I know. You know? I'm ready. Yeah. Cool. Um, so one of the things too, you know, there's lots of things about you that uh, inspire me or that I look up to you for, but there's a class of people that I especially hold in a high regard and it's working mothers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I see how you're crushing it with your career and sales. One of these days I still hope to someday poach you and, you know, bring you over to the good <laughs> side. But, um, you know, and then I also see you supporting your husband mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I've been watching you guys vicariously with like ultras and mm -hmm. being the support crew and we all that ultra, stuff an ultra marathon family which is uh, probably for life yeah, <laughs> which is a breed of its own maybe mm -hmm. we'll maybe we'll get there um home improvement projects parenting i mean it just seems like you're you're kind of wearing all the hats um but i want to hear about uh, really what i'm excited to pick your brain about is balance you know how you're balancing all of those things mm -hmm. and how motherhood has impacted your career and things like that. So maybe we could even start with your career and, you yeah. know, becoming a mom and, you know, how that sort of has changed the realities of working and where priorities lie and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Have you, have your numbers gone down or up? <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause yeah, I mean, if you're in sales, you know that it's the roller coaster, but, um, yeah, I've been in media and marketing in this town for, you know, over 12 years now. When I came, I started in radio. Um, I was working at a radio station up in Breckenridge, and I followed a boy down here, as so many tend to do. And the only job that was available at the time at the radio station was in sales. And I remember having just this, like, complete like agonizing oh my god sales I, I thought it was icky I was not into it every trope of like the obnoxious pushy salesperson I was like well I am not that so how is this going to work um my dad was in sales um so he kind of coached me of like you have to really change your thinking about what this job is this is a job where you're with people and you're building trust and you're building community among businesses and that became true pretty immediately. Um, so it was a great way for me to meet people in town. I segued from sales to getting back into radio. I mean, you joke, I'm like, oh man, I haven't been on a mic in a while. <laughs> You're like um, teaching me when yeah, we're getting set up. I'm like, let's talk about some audio levels. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then went back and then um, they let me start 92.9 The Point back up again. I think that was like, seven years ago now, eight years ago. That's crazy to think. Um, but yeah, I got to create, I loved music, but I still, you know, had the sales mindset. And um, then, yeah, now I'm in. Didn't you in between, didn't you after that go to a nonprofit or yes. something in between? I did my stint in nonprofits. I was the marketing manager for the Women's Resource Center. Yeah. And that was a really good lesson in just community and especially for women. God, we talk about working moms and the balance. I mean, that was a good eye opener to 
just what happens when things get out of balance. And, you know, women who were going through divorces or trying to start businesses, all of these big transitions that, you know, they had to really go out of their comfort zone and ask for help. And that's what the Women's Resource Center does, just connecting all of the different various organizations and opportunities for women. Um, it can be overwhelming to like know where to start. And so the Women's Resource was a starting point. And I think that's actually when we first met. I was probably running Men Who Grill or something. You were, uh, you were interviewing to work where I was working at the time. <laughs> and... Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't interviewing. (laughs) Or they were pursuing you. Yeah, yeah, they were coming to me. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually that was actually an interesting moment for me because, uh, you know, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, but there was a a pretty significant amount of I feel like intuition Mm -hmm. on your end with decisions that you made and kind of the you know where you headed from there. Mm -hmm. It was fun to observe. It was clear that you were wanting to like push yourself and get out of your comfort zone and. I will, I'll call it try something new, but get mm-hmm. back into yeah. sales. Yeah. Um, but I was fascinated. I, it was actually, it's a, it's a core memory of mine, but, you know, sitting there having coffee at Durango Joe's and you were kind of picking my brain. On, oh yeah. I was picking your brain hard. <laughs> like what it was, I was like. like Let's and, talk some numbers too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember being like, you would crush it. You should do it. But, um, you know, you obviously made the, the decisions that you made. And in mm-hmm. hindsight, I think, you know, definitely the right decisions, which it's yep. just cool to see when you kind of get to look back and, oh, yeah. you know, see the, how the, the paths could have gone. The little tiny steps. But yeah. And then I, um, the job I have now, I work for, um, one of the largest telecommunications companies in the world. Um, so I'm in video marketing and that was great because I always was attracted to video and that's where you and I bonded is that marketing medium. And it's just... also where I was faking it the most. <laughs> well, fake it till you make it. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. the whole game. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, yeah, see where that marketing opportunity went. And obviously I loved the aspect of sales. I'm, you know, such a people person and I love getting in a room with someone that I need to win over and in an authentic, genuine way of like, yeah, let me gain your trust so we can make decisions together so we can build a strategy to build your business. I mean, very in line with what you do. Um, but it's been great and, you know, the opportunity to have a sales job, you're flexible. My leadership sits in Albuquerque, so I'm kind of a lone ranger up here. And that was when I was like, okay, maybe I could start a family. Maybe I could do both um, as we're all coached up to know that we can as women. But you can have both. You can have motherhood and the career. I think there's a lot in there um, that they don't advertise. (laughs) Um, Like finding childcare. Yeah. I mean, just all the barriers to really doing it. So yeah, I had my first, I had my son in 2018, um, went right back to work three months later, did the daycare thing, you know, got on the waiting list pretty much right after we took the pregnancy test because I knew like, all right, I always knew that I was not cut out to be a stay at home mom. And it's kind of weird to say that because you feel like, oh, well, that's your biggest job. That's your most important job, which obviously it is. But I also knew that my soul and my purpose needed more than that, needed my own identity. Like, it's funny, anytime I'm at, you know, we had parent-teacher conferences today, and I always joke when someone's like, oh, you're Chance's mom or you're Sean's wife, I always interject and I say, I'm more than that. I am, but actually I'm more than that because I think, you know, that was the big thing and the big change about motherhood is your identity is suddenly wrapped up in that role and it can be very powerful and all-encompassing that the role for yourself starts to get a lot smaller and smaller. And so then I had my second baby in 2021. That was still like in COVID times, so we kind of delayed the daycare thing. I was like, well, I can do both. I can have her home with me and do my job. And I quickly realized like how delusional that is. Um, Would you know, (laughs) like having no childcare and trying to do your job is just, you're set up for failure because you constantly feel like one is taking precedent over the other and both are struggling. So balance has never been a thing I think I'm getting there a little bit more, but that's come with like a lot of self-discovery and a lot of work to figure out those identities, I think. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of 
pursuing a career and being a mother in the sense of an identity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a father perspective, it's, it's, uh, it's always been come kind of from a place of like support, mm-hmm. like needing to support my family. So for me, it's been a lot of, they're very related in a lot of ways. Cause like, I feel an obligation as a father to, you know, be there obviously for my kids emotionally mm-hmm. and physically and things like that. But I also feel like part of the fatherhood role is this like provider, yeah. you know, support person. So I think it's interesting to hear some of your driving, some of the motivation driving you to do all of the, the things that you do um, in the sense of that it's an identity thing. Do you feel like, because it almost gives me the impression that there's like, that they're, that they're related, but unrelated that like yeah. you, you, there's something important about not being seen as just a mom. I didn't want those two things to be related. I know that they have to be. And it's so funny. It was like little things too. Like when I'm out with the kids at a playground or something, I always have like my two phones. And for me, it's kind of like, well, I'm working here. You can't just, you know, it's, it's and it's funny because I find myself doing it subconsciously of like proving that I'm still in work mode while I'm in mom mode. Almost like you have to like... To prove Justify that I'm not it? a stay-at-home mom, yeah, I think so, and it's fun because, yeah, it was one, it was one of those, um, and trust me, I think that being a stay-at-home mom is the hardest job. Agreed. That's why I could on the record. That's agreed. why I felt like I couldn't do it um, because I knew that it would, om- I would, om- I would always feel like I was falling short. You know, I think a career and especially something like sales, you're numbers driven, you're, you know, this number of closes, percent to budget, like it is very black and white. It is very easy to quantitate and to understand motherhood is none of that. Parenting is none of that. You don't know if you're doing a good job. Actually, you often think you're doing a really shitty job. Um, And then we have all of these cultural and societal pressures that remind us that we're probably doing a shitty job. Um, so it's really easy to tell when you're succeeding within your career. It's harder to tell when you're succeeding in parenting. Mm. So to do those things in tandem, it's this constant push pull pendulum swing. Um, so yeah, I think anyone that's like, oh yeah, I've discovered the balance. I don't like, cool. Really? (laughs) (laughs) They're lying. Yeah. What? But I mean, yeah, but I think, you know, how do you measure success as a parent or do you? Um, well, if my kids are kind, um, if my kids feel loved, if my kids can trust me, um, so yeah, I think those things, and granted, I've got a kindergartner and a two-year-old, so we're still... So you're an expert. Yeah, so I'm writing the book next week. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'll pre-order it. Yeah, but I mean, you know, and the real side of that, though, is, you know, after my daughter was born, um, you know... She was with me while I was trying to do both. I was really, really struggling. I was like, this is not working. We finally started daycare. I think she was about seven months old. Um, And then this was the winter of, so the winter of 2021. And it was basically like the week she started, she got sick and was sick for six months. Like, respiratory viruses, hand, foot, mouth, COVID, um, you know, just the book of childhood sicknesses. And it really, it was one of those things where she was just crying for hours on end and couldn't console her. She, you know, had, I mean, she was a baby, so she couldn't regulate either way, but it's hard because I'm trying to change how I'm talking about this time of like, oh, she became so challenging. Like it was so challenging because for her, she was just existing. It was challenging for me. Yeah. Um, You know, it got to the point where it was just like hours of screaming. And you know, when you have a baby, like you ride through those moments and you're like, oh God, I got to get to the other side. But it was starting to be like, I could not see the other side. I was just very, very deep in, like, this is my burden to bear. I'm the only one that can fix it, but I can't. Um, It was funny because, you know, you fill out all of the postpartum depression questionnaires, what have you, 
And it's like, yep, yeah, no, I'm coping just as well as ever, better than ever. And, you know, and there was this voice inside of me that was like, is this what you call coping? Because this doesn't seem like I could tell that there was something building in my body, in my psyche, that was not the normal course of who I really was as a person. Um, it, you know, like when you slam on your car brakes really quickly, you get that that feeling that like cortisol going through that stress. Um, I started to realize that I was just feeling like that every second of every day. The baby cries, the dog barks, an email dings, the phone rings, toddler scratch. It was just, I could feel it like coursing through my body like at all times. And um, yeah, so it got to the point, granted through all this too, my husband is training for two ultra marathons, 200 milers, and I put a huge amount of pressure on myself to help him reach his goals. To be the super mom, be the super yeah, wife, be all the super it. employee. Yeah, I'm an achiever and I'm an enthusiast. Go to the boxing gym. Yes, well, that came later oh, when okay. I found we'll I get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, it was, I was really losing. I was like, I don't know who I am anymore other than to try to get this baby to stop screaming, to get dinner on the table, to answer this email. Like, core identity got so lost. Were you putting that pressure on yourself or do you feel like it was coming from oh, yeah. elsewhere, combination? I think, it, I mean, definitely on myself, on the like preconceived notions of like, well... Why can't you do all this? Everybody everyone else on Instagram is. Yeah, everybody else can do it. I mean, you know, everyone else is handling fine and it's funny because we all have this like inside dialogue of like everyone's doing great but you. And you're acting like you're doing great, but you know you're not. And so like this kind of got to a point where like I realized rage was building up, resentment like really big um, visceral feelings within my body that I wasn't familiar with, rage being one of them. Nah. Especially like resentment, you're in a marriage, you sometimes feel like, oh, I'm doing more, but I'm also not asking for help, but I feel like this is my responsibility because I'm the mom, so I should be the one that does all this. And so it creates this so you're vicious like carrying loop. all the weight yourself. Yeah. But, but you don't even know how to ask for help so because you, you're so deep into it. So it kind of all came to a head like last, almost a year ago, around now, like September. My husband was running the Wasatch 100. We took the whole family up to Utah. It was like, you know, crewing all through the night. Once you get into trail ultra marathons and you're running through the mountains in the middle of the night, you'll know this struggle. Um, but yeah, and like hold, super holding it together and he had an absolutely amazing race, like race of his life. And I was so happy for him. And I was just so amazed at this accomplishment. But then I like knew inside I was just struggling hard and he had no idea because I was not sharing at all. So he's on like the top of the world with his accomplishment. We get in the car to drive back to Durango. And now's the and time. <laughs> the damn breaks. <laughs> completely breaks of just like everything that I had kept inside. And I basically said, I was like, I'm, I need help. I need help from you. I need help from a professional. I need to really look at where this is going because if I don't do something now, I'm going to become a person that I don't recognize and I'm not okay with that. So came home, called a therapist worked with a behavioral therapist at the pediatrician to find out if, you know, if my daughter was ever going to, like, stop losing. So she was still having the, yeah. the, the uh, Just I don't know, the behavioral. Inconsolable, yeah. yeah. And it was only around me. That was the other part. Oh. She was a joy at daycare. She was fine around her dad. The minute she would be in a room with me, it was like, she just couldn't get it together. And granted, this is a baby we're talking about, so they can never get it together. But for me, I was just like, what am I doing wrong? Why can't you just be, why can't we just have, like, you know, an hour of not screaming? Um, what, so. what gave you the courage to ask for help? Because I think, so I want you to finish your story, but just a quick anecdote. 
this podcast has been fascinating for me oh, because, sure. first of all, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, but I'm having people on that I, I look up to, you know, people that inspire me. And when I started the Chasing Greatness podcast, the intention was to, you know, have these inspirational conversations with high performers and, you know, leave motivated <laughs> and everything. And, and that is happening. But on a much, on a more sincere level, what's come to light is that every single one of us struggles. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you'd mentioned when you were just talking there about everybody else can do it. Why can't I? Or, and I kind of am on this new mission now to sort of unpack that, that there literally is, there literally is not a single person that has it together. No. Yeah. There are some people better at faking it than others. Yeah. But in a way it's sort of beautiful. Like we're all just just big old globs of messes, trying to figure out life, doing the best we can. And I feel like there's some power in that, like mm -hmm. knowing that even the people that are wearing it well oh, are I wore still it so struggling. Well. Oh, it was my favorite sweater. <laughs> but I think that a result of that is, is that oftentimes people don't have the courage to ask for help. And you did, which I think mm -hmm. is remarkable. Um, and I'm kind of just curious. I would love to just kind of hear like, the thought process to how you ended up finally saying, you know, I'm not doing well. Cause there are everybody mm -hmm. in the world, you know, when's the line or do I ask for help or will people think I'm weak or, yeah. you know, there's all these things. I, I would just love to kind of hear like, I would imagine it was a bit of a, like, when should I ask how and, and a struggle or. Well, I can tell you it was the moment when everyone was screaming and I took the matchbox cars and I threw them as hard as I could against the wall. And that was something that I got scared. and Because you had emo emotion kind of overtook. Yeah, couldn't regulate myself. And I was just like, whew, oh my God. This is, where does this go if I let this keep going? Where do these emotions take me if I don't interject right now and figure out a way to course correct? I just saw that there wasn't a good path there. And, but I also see that it's super easy to just keep going <laughs> and just, you know, if my engine runs perfect on empty, then I might as well drive kind of deal. So, yeah, it was a humbling moment, but also like a super powerful moment, I will say, of just like, I have no shame here. I have, I am a human being. I have no shame. I have everything to gain by standing up for myself in this moment. What a great perspective. And to, and I realized that I had everything to gain in being open and honest about that with other moms, with my friends, with people that I interacted that had children that were going through the same struggles. Because yeah, I was projecting like a really together, like, oh, I, I work, I pick up my kids, I bake my own sourdough bread. I mean, I've got- you make wreaths. Like, yeah. And that's <laughs> why, you know, because, and, and we always interacted on a professional level, you know, forever until uh -huh. this conversation, really. And, uh, you know, you did wear it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could have been an actress. <laughs> but so, and this like enters into really like the second, like the course correcting phase, right? So um, I got with a therapist. I, I felt like I was kind of in emergency mode and they met me in that place. She met me in that place and, you know, could finally just speak truth to myself. And I had never really done ther talk therapy before. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like this, like, all right, so I'll just go. Then I just went and I went and I went. Um, and then another thing that I was ready to look into and that I had done research about was the use of psychedelics to kind of treat what I realized what I was having was massive anxiety, that feeling that was coursing through my veins. Like I didn't really know what it was, but I know I could feel it so intensely all the time, just right underneath the surface um, to the point where like, yeah, just always on edge waiting for the next kind of triage moment that I had to, you know, fix the crying, answer the email, that kind of stuff. Um, so I was doing talk therapy. I was like, all right, I'm starting to work through this. So what I did is 
I went, I had two really supportive friends who, you know, were open to having kind of like a weekend away. We rented a house. We spent four days. That was the most time I'd ever been away from my kids just on my own. Which that alone is worth something. <laughs> that alone is a trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we did, you know, we had a day of just like a hero dose of psychedelics and m mushrooms and really... Psilocybin? Yep. Um, and it was just like insane because I had done mushrooms before in a very different context, not within a therapeutic context. Um, you know, super open to alternative medicines and had been a cannabis user forever. And that was a big crutch for me of time when things were getting stressful. It was like this cycle of like escalation, de-escalation, like, oh, I'm so worked up. I got to unwind. And so whether that was weed or like a glass of wine or, but it wasn't, nothing was fixing <laughs> that. It's just cyc cyclical. Um, so yeah, so had this experience, was away for a couple of days, and I just remember it was so clear of what was different when I was in that experience of like, I'm not thinking, like my mind just got so quiet, and it was like the first time I could actually be alone with myself again after feeling the weight of all of the identities that I had been juggling. And like the one that was constantly getting dropped was just my true sense of self. And like, what am I on this planet for? What do I want? Um, who am, you know, all the big questions of like, what is this all about? Um, the weight of all the identities I was juggling. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great sentence. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what it felt like. Um, and then, yeah, I just reflected that I felt true rest and peace. So... Can you educate me a little? And, and I do have, I have a moderate, you know, education with, with how all of that works. And there's, I actually have some family members that have had some very intentional retreats is, mm -hmm. is the way that, that it's described in my family. Um, and the way that their experiences have happened has been sort of formal. Mm -hmm. Like there's been, I'll call it a guide yep. and like some preparation and, you know, some things like that. And sometimes they go really well, sometimes... They don't. Mm -hmm. I think all times they're necessary. But was it like, because I'm picking up that it was very intentional. It wasn't yeah. like you and your friends, you know, went and partied for a weekend. No. It, was, it was very <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're adults here. We're trying yeah. to be better. But was there some formality there, like coaching or was is it kind of on your own? What does the actual, the actual day look like? So, yeah, that, I mean, I think... I had gotten with my friends and we had talked a lot about, like I was very open with the struggle that I was going through at that time. And this trip was a big part of like, I need a reset. I need a true reset for my brain, for my soul. <laughs> like I'm not in a good place. I'm working on getting better. So yeah, it was, you know, in the more, and it was, it's funny because, you know, I think the, um, the stereotype around this kind of usage and what comes up, it's, it's a lot of laying around and being with your thoughts and maybe drawing or journaling. But yeah, the intention was like, I need to really do something for myself, completely for myself. Not thinking about what comes next, what's on Monday, you know, what have you. Um, and yeah, it was like the first time that I finally heard my brain go quiet. But it was also the biggest takeaway is it was like instantly after that experience, I stopped feeling that anxiety coursing through my body in wow. the visceral way. Like that, it just was like gone. And I almost, I like couldn't believe it. Like I came home and I obviously felt relaxed, but like it's funny because I came home and I was doing something and I had to take the baby somewhere, but the car seat wasn't in the car. And so I had to normally, you know, like you just miss calm and you're like, oh my God, what, oh my God, what am I going to do? I was just like, huh, all right, well. And I was like, dude, this is different. I'm reacting differently to these stressors. And so th this whole experience was like a year ago on October 14th. And I literally <laughs> don't feel that feeling in my body anymore. I go through stressful times and I 
intentionally check in with myself and I'm like, huh, I'm not feeling that feeling in my body anymore. And it was like so unbelievable to me. Like I honestly, I came home like true believer, instant, like go into a psychedelic integration circle, <laughs> telling people about it. All in. All in. Because I was like, wow, this is exactly what I heard that it could be. And so since then, you know, I've developed like a practice around microdosing, which kind of like ebbs and flows into my life. It's not something I need to do all the time. I notice when I do it, I have some pretty profound observations about how I interact with my world. Um, so yeah, I I talk about it a lot to a lot of other moms. I've told a lot of other moms about this and they're all very interested. And yeah, maybe retreats someday, but um, there's no going back now. Do you know, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely picking up like, you know, the, I don't know, the anecdotal benefits, right? Like the way, the, the feelings that it changed and the impact on your life. Are you familiar at all with the actual science? Like it? the serotonin 2A receptors and that kind of stuff. I, I, I wouldn't like know. Like I said, not a scientist, <laughs> not a but therapist. Just, it, yeah. It, you're not the first person that's told me that they've experienced profound, long-lasting psychological benefits mm -hmm. from psilocybin. Um, in the interest of transparency and, uh, you know, and, and this being a safe space, I have not one but many family members yeah. um, that have, have used that as a, as a vehicle towards, you know, better improved mental health. Mm -hmm. um, candidly, I believe that it has saved at least one of their lives. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's something very, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly immensely impactful. Um, I just didn't know if I, I know nothing about like the actual science behind it and didn't know if you knew like well, why or how, you know, but I think that's what we're still trying to figure out. Right. Um, you know, they talk when you start going down the rabbit hole of like psilocybin and psychedelics and, you know, there's so many different classes you need to talk about ketamine or MDMA. Um, but you know, I think neuroplasticity would be a term that you hear quite often about kind of rewiring your brain. Um, you know, we have very rigid structures within our life and within our society and within expectations of us. Um, and I think, you know, working with psychedelics allows you to soften the edges of that rigidity, um, to kind of take a step back, have a little bit more perspective, more presence, that's what I've personally found. And I mean, when it comes to parenting, it's been a game changer. When it comes to my job, the relationships that I build, the care that I take with working with people that I work with, it's been a game changer there. I feel more confident in myself, um, which is funny because I've always been a pretty confident person. I was going to say, you have confidence <laughs> I, I know. But what I've really realized is, it's confidence in the sense that I have self-trust. I trust myself to be the best parent in that moment. I trust myself to be the best advocates for the clients that I work with. I trust myself to be, you know, the most dynamic person in the room. And that is, when I frame it like that, it feels more powerful than confidence because it gets to a deeper point within yourself. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not confident just because, like, I want to be the best. It's like, I'm confident because I'm working on a relationship with myself that is based on trust. And that shit's deep. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So it's so interesting because I, I relate to your story in, in, in an indirect way. But, you know, I just ran my first ultra yes. like, a few weeks ago. So you know the power. It was a life-changing Yep experience for me and I'm now all in on ultras and, and I actually just signed up for my first trail hundred milers. So we'll have to talk about yeah. that off camera, but, um, I'm going to definitely take that away from the conversation of the power of trusting yourself mm -hmm. more so than self-confidence. And uh, just a quick aside, cause I think it'll help kind of paint the picture, but a lot of the reason why I run Actually, the only reason I run is for my mental health. Mm -hmm. I start to get stressed out at work or at home or whatever, and it's kind of my, like, escape. I run. 
in fact, there was a time years ago, I was on the phone with you and I was dealing with an injury and I didn't know that your husband ran ultras or whatever. Uh-huh. And I like passively said, you know, well, I'm, you know, I, I can't run, whatever. And you're like, oh no, I totally get it, which yeah. is refreshing for me. Mm-hmm. But what's been interesting about my anxiety has been that it has presented itself doing things that I used to love, mm-hmm. things I used to be passionate about, specifically outdoor adventures. And I have no idea if it came from firefighting or some crazy hunting times that I've had or what, but it it's crept up there and now I go out in the woods and I freak out, I panic. So I've been like, well, if I can run far enough to know I can, you know, get out of yeah. there, maybe I'll overcome my anxiety. And I've been working on it for probably a decade. I uh-huh. mean, it's been not a, a short Did thing. it change more when you became a parent, you think? or when you... That's definitely where it, like, mm-hmm. escalated exponentially. Yeah. Um, in fact, that is the moment. Like, I became a dad, and oh, now, well, now I, I have anxiety. So Well, I think that's a it. huge brain rewiring <laughs> event in and of itself that, you know, can lead to anxiety or depression. I mean, you just immediately realize that you have to care and raise humans. Yeah. And that's like the biggest task. It's all these new pressures. And that's why I loved when you said like these identities that you're juggling. And I don't know, I'm just relating so much to it in different, you know, I, I have, have found running to mm-hmm. be helpful. But what I'm getting at is, so I signed up for this trail ultra and I'm scared. Yeah, you should be. I'm not scared about <laughs> running a hundred miles. I'm scared about the trails and being in the woods and uh-huh. being by myself and in the dark with a headlamp. I'm like, I'm terrified. Yeah. I'm just straight up scared. But I'm going to take that with me that I trust myself. Yeah. Because that's such a powerful way to frame it. Like, I know I can run far. I know I'm skilled enough to, you know, figure it out. I know I'm not going to get lost. Mm-hmm. I know I've got the supplies I need. I trust myself. Yeah. What yeah. a powerful statement, you know, of, of being able to trust yourself with, overcoming the day's adversity, yeah. well, even if it is for getting a car seat. Well, yeah, and just acknowledging the truths that exist because talking about anxiety, like that's your brain creating problems that are not real um, and that are not, this is how it was for me. You know, you have a baby, you constantly think about the ways that they're going to die. That's just like every day. You just see them like falling off the stool, smacking their head open, going to the, like you play out all of these scenarios which are so ludicrous when you zoom out, but when you're living within it, it's so like, oh my God, I have to be worried all the time. And so that's another, like, that's another thing that I think microdosing psychedelics has helped me to get to is to embrace ease more. Um, because it is so, it's it's almost harder to be at ease than it is to be on high alert. Because to be at ease, you let your guard down and then you have to trust so much around you. Mm. I trust that my kid can get off that stool. I trust that the driver next to me is gonna make that turn. So. You almost have to like let go of control. Yeah, so it's like harder, <laughs> which, like which which is harder? Trusting yourself, trusting everyone around you. Way harder to trust everyone else. Yeah. So to do those two things in tandem, to trust yourself while at the same time being at ease to trust the world around you, I just find for myself so much release has come in that moment, especially with parenting, not being so reactive to allowing moments to evolve, to let my kids um, fail and figure it out on their own. I think, you know... As millennial parents, we're always like getting in there, getting in there to fix, to provide, to make their journey comfortable. But it's, you know, like we were saying we before, just those uncomfortable moments when they have to learn um, how to navigate the world so often, we prevent that because our fear intersects with their discovery. Um, and I have noticed as I've changed my relationship with ease so have my kids changed granted they're getting older so that's happening naturally but I can't help but feel like my um, the way I show up sets the tone in every interaction I mean I think moms are kind of like this pillar of the house everybody knows when mom's pissed off ain't nobody having fun in that scenario so you know when you can do the deep work of um, 
you know, finding yourself in parenting, in your career, in your marriage, in your friendships. Um, it's just really powerful when you see the ripple effect. I think I had read somewhere that one of the biggest gifts that you can give your children is your own happiness. Mm. And when I encountered that, I was like, damn. Because that's so, when you can be rooted at ease within yourself, you'll notice the people around you will adopt that and it will become the current kind of, um, water's always get turbulent because that's how life goes. But, you know, the course correcting back to like, this is all fine. You can handle this. Trust yourself. Trust the world around you. Nothing is, no nothing to panic about. <laughs> well, and I love that because it's almost like the desire to be the best version of ourselves sometimes has the reverse effect because of the pressure we then put on ourselves. Yeah. And especially with parenting and, and whatever it might be. And I, I love being able to think of that as like the best gift you can give your kids is your happiness. Mm -hmm. And then it almost then gives you permission to do the work and to do the self-care yeah. and like take care of you so you can take care of them. Yeah. You know, make oh. sure that the, you're squared away because if you're not, and like you almost then get to like selflessly yeah. do self-care instead of selfishly. You know, well, it reframes and it. I think that would help like executing on I'm it. I'm glad that you brought up self-care because my relationship. Oh, I have like, I pushed, I like hated when I was going through a really hard time. And there was so many really well-intentioned people that would come up to me and say, are you making time for self-care? And just listen to that. Are you making time for self-care? That feels like another job in and of itself. And then we zoom out and we look at what we call self-care, especially for moms, working moms. Obviously, I can only speak within my reality. Um, you know, go to yoga class, take a bubble bath. Get a facial. Yeah. And I was kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> Do you have a sensor? All right. <laughs> this is a safe This is an E-rated. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was really annoying to me because I was a kind of person that was like, I don't know what that is for myself. Mm. And I can't identify it, which is making me even more frustrated that I can't find it. Because for everybody else, it seems like it's that thing, especially for my husband, it was running. Like yeah. he, that's a huge part of his mental health routine as like you can relate to. I, the joke I make at every ultra marathon that I have to go to is, you know, everyone will be like, oh, are you a runner too? And my joke is only if the cops are involved. <laughs> and I got to get a new joke because now we go to so many ultras. But it's a pretty good joke. Yeah, it's, it plays. Can I tell um, you my ultra joke real quick? Yes, please. So I showed up to the ultra a few weeks ago. And I thought I was hilarious because I got there and I said, so you guys here for the 5K? <laughs> and I thought I was hilarious. My wife was like, are you kidding me? Oh, you got to use it every single time. So we yeah. can swap ultra no, jokes Yeah, you got to. But yeah. self-care. Anyway, finish No, I was just really resentful because I didn't know what that was for myself. And so I got, I had even more pressure on myself to be like, well, what's my thing? God, I don't have a thing, man. I, Well, I can't fix myself because I don't know what self-care means to me. And that in and of itself, I was like, well, what's the point? And so all through the work that I've done also, I've realized that self-care for me is not a thing. It's a way of living within my entire life. Yeah. Every single day, every single decision can become self-care, air quotes. Because really, I mean, you'll hear people talk about boundaries and, you know, learning to say no or, you know, creating more space for yourself within your life flow. But I, you know, I realize that it's little tiny things and decisions that I can make that can take care of myself. Like I don't need to answer every email within 30 minutes. I don't know what part of me thought that that was like a requirement for Teach being me. within a working world. Like I got to be responsive. I got to be active on teams. I got to, you know, hit every benchmark and, you know, be this vehicle for capitalism in the best form that I can. And I'm like, for what? I mean, I love my job. I love making money, but that's not what I was put on this planet to do. That's not what is going to be on my tombstone. Like I can create space, take a breath, I can decide what, you know, is right. I mean, 
self-care, I did also discover boxing, which has been a huge part of it. So now I do finally understand the the endorphin. Oh, yeah. Big time place for the rage. Um, And, you know, the chick that runs the boxing gym, I was like, I think you and therapy like saved me in such a way that I can't even express. But that was another thing of like finding something that was uniquely my own that I could take ownership of and and saying, yeah, I deserve this. It's interesting because you've talked about several times like this idea of your identity has mm-hmm. come up, you know, juggling these other identities and the weight of that or, um, you know, finding your identity through motherhood and professional endeavors and, and things like that. It almost seems to me like self-care is giving space for the identity to be yeah. like the, it doesn't have to be a hobby or a run or a facial or a, yeah. you know, a bubble bath self-care on a, with a different perspective is, is almost like letting your true identity have room to be, which yeah. I, I kind of like that because I think that's a very real struggle that a lot of people deal with. And I think especially moms, mm-hmm. but you know, like what, what do you mean self-care? Like, what, what do you want me to do? Like, yeah. you know, and that's going to fix everything. This bubble bath, yeah. I'm going to come out and I'm not going to like want to And I'm feeling throw guilty the, the whole time I'm there anyway yeah. and whatever. Yeah. So I really like that. I just really like how you've sort of reframed it. And it, it and I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it definitely seems to me like self-care is giving space for your own identity to be whatever it is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um which I think is a neat way to a neat way to look at at it because I think especially that's why I said you know uh, the group of people that I you know hold in some of the highest regard is is working moms because of that constant tug of war of motherhood and you know to be fair most of them are wives as well which mm-hmm. is not an easy job either no that's another identity <laughs> yeah. Yeah. come and talk to the husbands we're a pain yeah but you know there there's like I can see and and then I've got a lot of background with with working mom wives that also have church pressure and that's a whole nother thing but yeah you know you look at that and it's like holy cow no wonder i mean the amount of pressure that is on you know that group of people is enormous Mm -hmm. and i love that idea of of self-care just simply being creating space to to be yourself yeah have your own identity it's a way of life yeah you can structure it as a way of life to know that you're taking care of yourself by just putting your happiness first. I mean, going back to that, you know, how can you, you can't show up for others if you don't show up for yourself. And showing up for yourself is really hard. (laughs) Sometimes you hold up a mirror and you don't always like what you see. And sometimes you have these like, you know, pivotal transition moments where you're like, yep, I I don't know where this is going. And um, so, yeah, I think it's been a good, I mean, so it's very interesting that I have this, this experience now a whole year of awareness of um, work and you know how it relates to where I am. I mean, I'm performing better than I ever have at my job. I'm more fulfilled with you know the various hats and, and such that I find myself wearing throughout the day. And I'm really comfortable in my own skin. I'm like I said that I trust myself more than I ever have. I feel, um, yeah, proud to also stand on the other side and said, "Man, I was really in a dark place. Maybe nobody knew it, but I was really struggling. This is what I did. I went and got help. I talk about it to anyone who will listen. I have no shame. I have so much power in." feeling vulnerable in front of others and creating community around that vulnerability. I know vulnerability is a big thing for you too. Um, it's the only thing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you and I have talked at length about community and just how important that is. And, and just the, um, yeah, the power that comes from realizing that we all struggle and that when you give voice to it, it encourages other people to give voice to theirs. Um, and that, you know, fuels the fire. It makes you realize like, oh my God, we're all just out here doing the best we can. And we're all struggling. We're all thriving. That those two things happen within a 30 second span. Um, and yeah. It's it. I have a a thought and then a follow up question, but I've got a philosophy that I've coined selfish service. Mm -hmm. And it's basically this idea that the most 
direct path to a fulfilling life is through serving others. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds counterintuitive because service is selfish. But um, I'm now realizing through this conversation that the opposite is true as well. That if you're sometimes selfish and not in a negative context, but if you're selfish, it now allows you to serve others better. And then the cycle Mm -hmm. can continue. And what a powerful thing to consider, right? That if we take care of ourselves, we're better set up to take care of others. Yep. And the more we take care of others, the better we can take care of ourselves. Yes. And, uh, you and know, so it turns. Well, think of the that. Snowball rolls think down of what you hill. said. What's, what's the opposite of selfish? Selfless. What does selfless bring up to you? The sense of no self. And I think that is mm. an easy thing. I mean, you talk about being a provider, you talk about being a parent. You, in that moment, you are demanded to become selfless. That is the requirement of parenting, to put someone's life before your own. And that comes with the job, and that is, um, that's a chemical reaction to becoming a parent. But I think it's also kind of the danger of when you stop, when you come, become completely selfless and you have no more self, it can be a very daunting task to gain yourself back. And I feel like that um, was where I found myself is just this, oh, well, I serve others. And that is all consuming. And so the journey back to self has been really transformative. I love that perspective. (laughs) Selfless. What a great, yeah, wow. So you talked about, you know, because I think it's so remarkable that you had the courage to ask for help. And it it seems like in two different ways. And so I want to hear more about that too. And I want to hear, you know, because you obviously had to have conversations with your husband and Mm -hmm. your kids and whatever to even initially ask for help. And then obviously later down the road to go and, and, uh, you know, use psilocybin. Mm -hmm. How was that received? Like, I mean, did you have support from instantly? Was there like, did you feel like you had to kind of, especially, I guess, maybe the psilocybin side of things, like, you know, was everyone on board? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's always hard. I mean, when you come to your partner and say like, I'm struggling and, you know, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. Um, because obviously he was like, Whoa, I, I always ask you, you know, I always encourage you to get out and do your own thing and we can make this balanced. And yes, he was, he was pushing me, but there, I was so, stuck in the cycle of, I don't have a thing. I don't know what that is. I was chasing that thing um, that was going to fix it. And I don't, you know, not to say like, oh, and then psilocybin came in and fixed everything. Mm, Yes and no. Um, But it was the work of recognizing, of deciding to course correct. That was, I think, the really, I mean, when you talk about psychedelic use and the way that they talk about it in the clinical setting, you know, you say set and setting and intention of like, you, whatever you put into this experience is what you're going to pull out of the experience. So I think having done talk therapy prior to that trip, um, was a huge thing. Also, like I've, the biggest gift I also have given myself is I've kept the same, I've kept a journal my entire life. I've kept the same running document in like Google docs for the last 12 years. So I have hundreds and hundreds of pages and so it is, and I say it's a gift because it's amazing if you, when you can go back to a moment, and I turn to journaling when I'm at my highest highs and my lowest lows, sometimes in between, but normally it's like I need to work this out and put it to paper. And now that I look back, I mean, and because I'm kind of like a year out of doing a really big change, I look back at some of those entries when I was in a really dark place and it's just like alarming the way, the way I was speaking to myself, the things I was admitting, but still not taking the move to get help. Talking about how like, I just don't know where this rage comes from, or like, I feel guilty and resentful, and I just don't know when it's gonna get better. And so it's been really awesome to watch the evolution of doing the work and seeing the returns and how I feel and how I'm writing about where I am in my life. Um, And so, yeah, so also I think journaling is a really big underrated practice. Um, 
it allows you to really talk to yourself over a long span of time to witness your own growth. And I think sometimes it's hard. We're, we're living within our experience, right? So you can't often see how much you're growing. But when you keep a record of that and when you're honest throughout that record, um, it, it's really crazy to see you know, all your highs and lows and to realize you've gotten through all of your lowest lows, you've gotten through all of your highest highs, um, and that's the through line, is continuation. That's what I was going to ask, too, because, you know, you kind of talk about this journey back to self, or, or you know, I, don't, I forget exactly how you worded it, but something to that extent. And I was going to ask almost sarcastically, is, you know, is psilocybin the magic pill? But then you mentioned, you know, journaling and, and these other things. Is psilocybin the magic pill, or are, is there work that has to go along with it? Is it part of the equation? And I know it's different for everybody, mm -hmm. but it, with your, you know, your own experience, yeah, is it that impactful, or is it part of this, the, these, you know, these other components that you've been putting in the work along the way as well? I think it's that impactful. Really? Yeah, I really do. I mean, not even, the answer I expected. Yeah, no, I well because could I have gotten here on my own? Yes. Without a doubt, with therapy, with really hard conversations, but to allow myself. So now I do like every six months a big experience, um, usually with other women, um, actually only with other women, <laughs> other moms. And it's that reset, um, that true time for self-exploration. When we were on a trip once we kind of mused around like well what is deeper than relaxation god i'm so relaxed what is deeper than relaxation and we finally were like peace mic drop like wow to be at peace and if that's a gift that i can continue to give myself both in big ways and in small doses and i mean like just the conversation about microdosing versus megadosing. I mean, that's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole different episode. Um, this is not medical advice. <laughs> yeah, I am not a doctor, as you can tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it has um, really allowed me to think about it too. Like on the days that I do, you know, microdose for two, three days, four or five days off, maybe microdose for three or four days. I'm not clinical about it. Um, you just go all based off feeling. Yeah. And it's, what's great is that I don't ever feel like, God, I just really need to do this today. I got a big day. I'm going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's not like that at all. It's more like, you Trying know, feel a little different. Yeah. And on the days that I do, I just notice, um, one of the biggest things I notice is my relationship with time changes. Hmm. Um, and I'll explain that a little bit. It's like, I remember, you know, you look throughout your day like, oh my God, I only have three hours until I have to pick up the kids. Oh my God, I have to get my groceries in two and a half hours. I gotta send this email by the end of the day. I've got this much time. I'm to this not much look at my time. Watch now. This much time, right? We're always we're such slaves to time. And I realize on the days that I microdose, I'm not time is so much more fluid. Like I feel like I have so much more time with my day. I'm not rushing. I'm within more of a flow state. Whether, you know because I've talked to other people that microdose and they're like, oh, do you feel like you have more energy? And it's like, well, if I'm energetic when I wake up, then yeah. But it kind of just, you know, whatever you bring to it is what you're going to get. Um, but yeah, I've noticed on those days that like I just feel like I'm in a real flow state. And it was funny because recently my husband did like a nine-day trip and a year ago that would have sent me into like this utter panic. Oh my gosh, I have to solo parent for nine days. How am I gonna do this? I'm working at the same time. I have to drive all these places. We got these appointments, the Devo, blah, 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 blah. And I noticed that this go around, I could like release all that pressure of time and the schedule. When I play with my kids, I'm super present with them. I notice I don't use my phone as much. I get my screen time reports on weeks that I know I've had, um, you know, multiple microdosing days. And it's like, you were on your phone for, you know, two hours and 40 minutes. I've had days where I'm on my phone for like four hours or whatever, you That's know. It? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And it's these little things that I noticed that I'm like, that's that's noticeable and that's intentional and that's a change within my life. 
what else have I changed? I've developed a practice with psilocybin that has changed. And like, I, I have no shame in like admitting that too, which I think is also very freeing because I've definitely had some people that are like, whoa, you're going to like talk about this in the mom group? And I've had, I've been met with some people that are like, I can tell they're just like, okay, yeah, that's a bridge too far for me. I'm not comfortable with that. And, you know, maybe they think different about me. That's perfectly Let fine. <laughs> yeah, that's great because I'm on my own journey and it's pretty great. Um, so however you want to, you know, hold your feelings, great. Um, but yeah, so it's been really interesting in just terms of um, being open and honest about it, not having any shame about being in a struggle, taking steps to help myself, and then developing a practice that's really helped me live a more fulfilling, balanced. Did I just answer your question like an hour later? <laughs> I'm not uh, checking the watch. Yeah, so I yeah, no time, no time. <laughs> um, life. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I, I relate so much to that because, like, it's funny, uh, the office has been calling me Zen Ben ever since my ultra. Oh yeah. And, uh, riding that high. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but, um, you know, I just relate so much because it's like, it's so freeing to find these things that make an impact and then share it with others. Like, Mm -hmm. why would we not, you know? Um, I am curious because I really was caught off guard. I was expecting that we were going to go down this path of like, it only works if you put in the work and like, you got to do these other things. Yes. And I know there's some, you know, some components to that, but Um, I think it was a really powerful answer to say that, you know, it is that powerful, which, um, well, I just think it's fascinating. You mentioned kind of anxiety and talk therapy and things like that. Were you on medication before any anxiety medication or anything like that? No, but it's interesting that you should ask that because when I finally kind of got to that point, when I realized I was struggling, I had like a routine OB appointment. (laughs) So it was crazy, all these appointments. So I was literally like crying to this doctor, crying to that doctor. And the first thing my OB said was like, you know, well, it sounds like what you're describing is a little, I don't know if she said little, but, um, you know, we, while you're crying. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, this is just routine. I'm not this kind of doctor. (laughs) Um, is she was like, she started talking about medications. And I remember in my mind just feeling so defeated around that notion. Um, not, I mean, I totally believe in, you know, SSSR type medications, but I just couldn't recognize it in myself that I had gotten to a point where that would even be on the table. So it was kind of like this, like, whoa. Um, but for some reason, psilocybin didn't feel as... No. As... Uh, I don't know, surrendering, like it it felt like natural maybe. Yeah. Well, and, um, I didn't know this was going to be the outcome. I had no idea. I honestly thought like, Oh, this will be a fun weekend with my friends and maybe I'll come out of it a little more rested, but can't hurt. And I had been, you know, reading a lot about it, listening to a lot of podcasts, um, you know, Huberman lab and all the same pods that we listen to. Um, And I just realized, I was like, well, this can't all be wrong. And just knowing, you know, where we're at with the science. And I think that psychedelics are really on the edge of this new dawn. Like, I really believe that. Um, I think that we haven't even begun to truly understand that because the war on drugs basically put an entire halt to research that hasn't picked up in the last 40 years. So we're 40 years behind the curve of where we should be in terms of understanding where this is. And I mean, if you read about psychedelic adoption within the therapeutic space. I mean, one of the biggest avenues that scientists and therapists are starting to push is veterans and PTSD. And it's funny because they're really, that's a strategic, I mean, it, it's a valid move because they've seen that PTSD through psilocybin treatment, you know, could be very effective, but it's also a political move because mainstream adoption, people can get behind helping our veterans. Yeah. It's harder for people to get behind hippie, moms. hippies in the woods talking to trees because that's what people think it is. Um, but there's also really this big movement within the motherhood space. There's a group in Denver called Moms on Mushrooms and mom for short, Moms on Mushrooms. Love it. They, got great, they got great branding. Yeah. Um, 
but basically what they're trying what what they're trying to do is destigmatize the use around moms because when you go up to someone that has no background and you say you're taking psychedelics around your kids that that is a freak out moment for people that are not understanding what it truly is right. and you're irresponsible and how could you do that and you know there's little understanding about you know what microdosing truly is it's like point 1 of a gram um so you're not having any of the like hallucinogen effects of like sometimes a bigger trip will have um but yeah so there's really a big movement happening right now specifically as it pertains to moms i'm all for it i am an adopter i'm a gospel spreader um because it's like why not if i had a great transformative experience that makes me feel like i'm connecting more with my kids and in my relationships why wouldn't i advocate for that in any way i can well yeah and like if it's a vehicle to living a more present and yeah. peaceful life i mean i think at the end of the day and that's what's been interesting too like you know, I've had, I don't know, a dozen or so of these conversations now, and there's sort of that like longing for everybody to find fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, a lot of times we pursue it in other ways that you know we accomplish a goal and it doesn't come to fruition. You know, the yeah. fulfillment doesn't actually come or whatever it might be. And I just love like the confidence to say, you know, that this is working. And you're not the first person that has told me that either. Yeah. Which is, yeah. You know. There, so the you know the the trend line is is continuing, but I yeah. do think that it's, I think it's powerful, and I think so. It sort of relates. I have another idea that uh, human beings right now simultaneously are the healthiest we've ever been, and the least healthiest we've ever mm -hmm. been. Not at the same time. Like the group, the the gaps are are widening. There's a lot of really really unhealthy lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And people that are self-medicating with less helpful mm -hmm. substances and, yeah. um, you know, sedentary lifestyles and, and all these things, but media that we consume and whatever. But the flip side of it, and it's what excites me and gets me so, I don't know, pumped up is that we also have so much information now. Yeah. And so you can learn about things like listening to the Huberman yeah. you know, <laughs> podcast or Chasing Greatness podcast. Of yeah, course, but, right up there. Um, yeah, we're like same level. <laughs> neck but, and neck. But um, – that information can get out there and the word can spread is really powerful. And I think it's really neat that we're living in a world now where there are these other mechanisms to fulfillment and mm -hmm. peace and that, you know, people can see what works for them. And I, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's remarkable that I think your story is remarkable on so many levels. I think it's remarkable <laughs> that, you know, you wore it so well to begin with. Mm -hmm. I think it's remarkable that you asked for help. I think it's remarkable that you got help. And then I think it's remarkable that you're, you know, vocal and confident about it. And now kind of, you know, with this desire to help others, mm -hmm. I just think, it, I just think it's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, thank you so much for yeah. sharing the story for, uh, for coming on the show. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for being who you are. <laughs> um, you're making a difference. Thanks, and it matters. And I just really hope you know that, that you're remarkable in so <laughs> many ways. And, uh, and it's just, it's just, I'm just really, really glad to know you. Oh, so thanks. I have a tradition now that oh, I've started. I get swag for Yeah, this? you get an oh. Inspire by Example shirt. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, make sure it's the right size. It but looks good. I want you to know sincerely, and I started the show with it, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad to know you. I'm glad for the impact that you've made on my life. And I'm glad for the impact that you're making on others. Keep doing what you're doing. Same to you, man. And scream it as loud as you can. Word. Thanks. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs>